Welcome to the Stomp Down Photography Podcast, episode 68. I'm Scott Davenport. Today's topic is five tips for seascape photography. Hi, welcome. Thanks for joining me. I'm glad to be back with you for another chat about photography, this passion we share. And in today's episode, let's take one more step on our never-ending journey of photography. I have been stepping out more often with the camera recently, and as you may have guessed, I've made several trips to the ocean. Summer is approaching in the northern hemisphere, and the prospect of travel is looking up, at least within the respective borders of our home countries. So you might be thinking about a coastal visit in your near future. So today, I have five tips for seascape photography to share with you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with a friend on social media, with your camera club, and if you can, please leave a rating for the podcast. Fresh ratings really help other photographers find out about the show. All right, so five tips for seascape photography. I'm excited to share these with you. Seascapes, uh, definitely my thing. It's uh, what really motivates me to get out with the camera. I, I love landscapes, but there's something special about seascapes. So let's go through these five tips I have for you. Tip number one is know the weather and the tides. Uh, Weather, you probably guessed, right? Weather is a very important part of landscape photography. Also true for seascapes. But the thing is, like a weather forecast, it's like 70% accurate if you live in an area where weather is reasonably predictable. And honestly, when I went to school, that would earn you a low D in the grade book. It's not particularly uh, high marks there for 70% accuracy. So uh, my advice is don't let the weather forecast in and of itself be a deterrent from going out, short of it being storm warnings. If you've got storm warnings or flood warnings or lightning in the forecast, that kind of thing, be smart, be safe. Maybe it's a different day that you want to be running around with a large metal tripod if it's a lightning storm. But otherwise, uh, you know, if we're lucky, we get those partly cloudy days, you know, we live for those. But overcast days, they can produce really nice moody photos or subject studies. You can still get some very strong photos, even if the weather isn't, you know, quote unquote, prime conditions. Yeah, as for checking the weather, there's tons of apps out there. The one I happen to use is called yr.no. It's, uh, I think it's out of Norway. And that's my go-to. Has it, for me, those, uh, those folks, their two to three hour window before a given hour, you know, if it's sunsets, let's say at, I don't know, 7 p.m., you know, starting around 4 p.m., their microclimates are, are really good. So uh, that's, um, that's uh, the, the app that I turn to. But there's tons of others, and they fundamentally provide the same information. But the tides... That's the other part of seascapes that, let's say, uh, folks that are new to seascape photography don't think about as much. You want to know the tides for your photography, for your subject interaction, and also for your safety. You don't want to be in a little cove or a nook or someplace on the coastline that's going to get cut off from the land by a rising tide. But photographically speaking, subject interaction really does depend on the tides. Extremely low tides can reveal things that are otherwise not available or not visible to photograph. They can also make more picturesque stretches of coast messy. You know, the 
reefs and moss and gunk that is otherwise on the ocean floor gets revealed. And so extreme low tides may not be the best choice. It just nearly does depend on the location. So you know, location research is important. On the opposite side of that, high tides, you'll get more interaction with the ocean and the coastline. And I'm thinking like in my local area, like in La Jolla, an area I photograph in San Diego a lot, you know, that means much more wave interaction with the large rocks that make up the, you know, the, the jagged coastline that is La Jolla. You get makeshift waterfalls, you get just lots of interest going on in the foreground made by the surf. And related to the tides is knowing about wave height, because the higher the waves, the more likely that you'll have waves interacting with your foreground, with the coastline. And there's a safety factor there as well. If you've got really, really rough surf, you'll want to know about that. As, you know, sneaker waves become more likely. Maybe the undertow is stronger, you know, those types of things. Now, unlike the weather, the tides are predictable. And so basic, high tide, low tide, tons of apps. I use one called Tide Chart, uh, you know, really creative name, on my iPhone. Uh, it also shows the sunrise and sunset times, the phase of the moon. So it's a convenient at a glance kind of uh, app, you know, minus the weather piece of it. For wave height and direction of swells, uh, I like an app called Windy. And it's more complex. It has a web-based interface I find a little easier to use than, than my phone, and maybe that's just a factor of my phone being small. But it will show the direction and the height of the prevailing swells up to uh, two, uh, certainly two, maybe three of them if I recall correctly. But if the swell directions are complementary, you can expect some bigger surf, you know, periodically those swells are going to uh, line up and create that nice set that the surfers are going after. Well, the photographers uh, can go after those too. So tip number one is know the weather and know the tides. Tip number two, include foreground. Now having a foreground subject is important for all landscape photography, especially when we're photographing at wide angles. That's important for seascapes as well. You find something, a shell, a sea star, an interesting rock, the line of the surf itself, something to hold the foreground that makes for stronger compositions. But that's a foreground subject. I said this tip was include foreground. All right, Scott, well, what do you mean? Well, I mean exactly that, having a foreground in your photo. Think of it as giving your viewer a place to virtually stand in the frame, some sort of context for the scene, a way that the viewer can have a relationship with the ocean. In their mind, your viewer is going, if I were here, where would I be standing? You want to provide that as best you can in your photo. Like for a rocky coastline, you can include a small outcropping of rock where a viewer could mentally stand on that platform and gaze out on the ocean. A uh, common mistake I see with photographs of the shoreline where you're trying to capture you know, the, the grand expanse of the beach and the ocean and everything that's around is missing parts of the sand, missing parts of the beach itself. So a great triplet for seascapes is sand, surf, and sky, you know, from foreground to midground to background. Now, are there exceptions? Of course there are. In photography, there are always exceptions. Um, ocean abstracts would have no foreground or midground or background for that matter. 
an isolated subject with the ocean water just swirling around it, like a minimal composition, right, that may not have the sand component of my sand surf sky triplet. But when you're in doubt and you're not going after one of those more uh, tailored photos of an abstract or an isolated subject, include foreground. Give your viewer a place to mentally stand in your frame. Tip number three, capture motion and change mood. The auto default or program mode on our cameras, the, the aim is for 1 60th of a second for an exposure, and that rarely does the ocean justice. That's great for snapshots, you know, family, friends, a day at the beach, but that 1 60th second, it just doesn't usually create a compelling seascape. Aim to incorporate motion into the final image, and that typically means using filters, extending the exposure time to capture a sense of motion. Now, what type of motion you want to capture depends on the mood you want to convey with your photo. Do you want a feeling of power? Rough seas that feel stormy, maybe a little dangerous? Do you want a relaxed mood? The ocean that's weaving among and caressing other elements in the scene? Maybe you want a calm, like totally peaceful feeling throughout the entire frame. Well, different shutter speeds capture different types of motion and in turn set the mood for your photo. So let's take those three. We had a you know, capture power, relaxed mood, or total, you know, total zen. Let's start with uh, capturing power. You want faster shutter speeds, right? You put the filters away. You don't need your filters. Maybe a polarizer, depending on where you are and what direction you're pointing in relationship to the sun. You're looking for big waves where the, you know, the sea is crashing against the land. It's throwing up a lot of spray in speeds of like one eight hundredth of a second or higher. That will freeze motion and you can capture that power that uh, you know, an ocean wave can really bring to the land. And also um, using rapid burst uh, with this shutter speed is useful. You know, capture a bunch, cull later so you can get the, the perfect one where the water throws itself up in the air in just the right shape. Now, moving into like a relaxed mood, you know, silky fingers of ocean foam, kind of, you know, meandering across the sand or those little makeshift waterfalls as water spills over rocks. It could even be just the swell and rise of a wave as it starts to crest. A moderately slow shutter speed is the place you want to be. The ND filters come out of the bag at this point usually, and my rule of thumb is to start with a target of about a half a second of an exposure. Take your test shots and then adjust from there. Water speed is your biggest variable here, and the ocean is very different every day. So typically, a little experimentation is needed to find the sweet spot, you know, that sweet exposure time for the conditions that day gives you to get that silky, relaxed feeling through a frame. Now, to get that uh, complete and total you know, zen feeling, like the smooth ocean, maybe a smoky mix of spray and mist, almost like if you've got a lot of like rocks in the foreground or things where it's um, it's dreamy and ethereal, we're talking... 30 seconds or at, at, at a minimum you know, or more. You know, a lot, again, depends on the behavior of the ocean. The rougher the sea is, the longer the exposure needs to be to bring calmness to that chaos. This is where your big stopper filters come out, right? You want to cut down a lot of the light that's entering your lens. Or you can capture these types of scenes before sunrise 
or after sunset when the light's really low the camera just has to keep the shutter open for a longer period of time to make a proper exposure but, you know at least 30 seconds usually you know you're upwards of a minute or so start getting that smoky calm feeling and compose thinking about that so you do keep a few strong elements in the photo to, to anchor things. But tip number three for seascape photography is to think about the mood you want for your photo and then capture the type of motion to suit that mood. Tip number four, photograph the ebb. Now this is related to the previous tip, capturing motion, but after a wave has rolled up on the beach, capture its retreat, shoot the ebb. As the waves move back out to sea, that rush of water creates these leading lines that draw your viewer into your photo, into your frame. And the ebb creates these gorgeous swirling streaks of white foam. Slow drag on the shutter, you know, half second, quarter second, and you'll really start to see some compelling patterns. A bonus tip about shooting the ebb. Watch the ocean and your chosen foreground elements just for a few minutes before capturing. How do they interact? How does the ocean interact with your foreground? Where do you find yourself looking? What lines do you follow? The ocean is giving you composition tips, so use them. Fine-tune your framing based on your observations. And then wait for that perfect set of waves. Shoot the ebb, and you've got those lines flowing through your scene, drawing your viewer into your photo. Tip number five is get wet. For a good seascape photo, sometimes you have to get wet. Now, it is only water, and <laughs> if getting a little bit wet is the difference between a good photo and an outstanding photo, I'll get wet. Kick off your shoes, roll up your pant legs. For colder oceans, you know, bring waders or muck boots. Walk into the shallows, get into the mix of it. These types of photos are very strong. They draw your viewer in. You partner this with tip number four, you're shooting the ebb, and the ebb is rushing, like, literally from behind you out into the scene. I mean, they'll, they'll taste the salt air with you. Now, you'll need a couple of things to do this. One is typically a tripod. You're looking for these silky, smooth bits of water to be going through. Well, you're looking at a quarter of a second, a half a second exposure. You need a tripod. You need to push it into the sand. Yeah, tripod spikes are, are great, but when you're in active surf, extra long exposures are problematic. You know, the sand will shift even around tripod legs pushed into the sand with spikes. If you've ever stood at the surf's edge barefoot, you just let the ocean kind of roll over your feet there. After a few minutes, you're buried in sand up to your ankles. You haven't done anything. All that sand has been shifting around beneath you. The same thing happens with your tripod. So you will have to plant, compose, take your photo, and probably continue to adjust as the sand moves around. Your tripod shifts ever so slightly. Now, the other thing you need is obviously the willingness to get wet, but perhaps the ability to dry off. You know, on the warm summer days, not really an issue. Colder days, well, you want to have an extra towel, extra pair of socks in the car, something like that. And if you're on a workshop and your group is going off to the next location, keep that in mind. You might be damp and a little uncomfortable for a while, but it's short-lived in the grand scheme of things. So uh, more often than not, I'll choose to get wet. 
And I will caveat it with safety first. Right? Safety first. No photograph is worth serious injury. Getting wet, not a problem. Getting dragged out to sea, big problem. If surf is rough, the undertow is strong, find a different composition for that day. Work a different part of the scene. And personal health, too, really. If this is cold temperatures, cold water, and you're not going to be able to be in a heated space shortly after getting you know, knee-deep in, in cold water, calf-deep in cold water, you know, think about that. Don't get yourself sick. And if you do get wet after your shoot, rinse your tripod off with some fresh water. You know, at a minimum, just rinse the salt water off of your tripod. Do you need to completely disassemble it and clean your tripod entirely? Mm, it depends. My rule of thumb, if one of my twist locks gets submerged in seawater, that's called for a disassembly and a cleaning. But on most of my outings, I'll extend my lowest segment of leg when I'm getting in the water, and then a rinse off is fine. I'll do a full cleaning every few months. And this is from a guy that photographs the ocean a lot and Every few months, a full teardown of my tripod and cleaning, it's required. But beyond that, a good rinse will keep your tripod healthy and give it years of service for you. All right, so let's review those five tips. Tip number one, know the weather and tides. Two, include foreground. Three, capture motion and change mood. Four, photograph the ebb. Tip five, get wet. Put these into practice on your next visit to the ocean and you will create stronger seascape photos. A couple of other thoughts that are rolling through my head here as I record today's podcast about seascape photography. If you've never done seascape photography and you already love landscape photography, really encourage you to give seascapes a try. You know, maybe 2021 or 2022 is the year to get yourself to the ocean and explore. The thing that draws me to the ocean again and again is that every frame is unique. Okay, the land doesn't change very much, but everything else does. The beach changes, different seasons bring more sand ashore, pull sand away, that changes the way the surf line looks. The sky and the weather is always changing. And of course, the ocean changes with each and every frame. No set of waves is the same. Just every. You always get a different pattern of water flowing through each time. The other thought is when you are at the shore, you're photographing the ocean, never turn your back on the sea. Sneaker waves do happen. And sometimes the ocean just has a devilish personality. They'll throw a random slap of water in your face. You know, nothing life-threatening, but just enough to let you know who really is the boss out there. If you need to adjust your camera, switch filters, fine-tune your comp, you know, glance up at the ocean every few seconds, listen for changes in the surf pattern. A change in the droning background of the surf usually means a change in the wave pattern. So your eyes and ears open paying attention to what the ocean may bring. If you need to react quickly, you can. Before I sign off this week, uh, thank you as always to the members of the Patreon community. It is your support that keeps this podcast on the air. You've said, yes, I like this content. I want more of it. And I can't thank you enough for your support. 
If you're thinking about joining us on Patreon, check the show notes. There's a link down there. And if you're not quite sure or a monthly fee is just not something you can do right now, check the show notes anyway. Hit the support button. There are many zero-cost ways that you can support this podcast. Sharing it with others, leaving ratings and feedback on Apple Podcasts, All of these things help the show, and that's what we want. More photographers together improving our craft. And that'll bring us to an end. I hope you enjoyed the tips. I hope you can put them to good use. And hopefully this year will be the year we can get back out with our cameras again. Until next time, my name's Scott Davenport. Have fun. (music) 